James chapter 5. James chapter 5. This morning, uh, my privilege is to share with you about prayer. So the message this morning is about prayer, about praying. Now just as a bridge for you, particularly if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, James 5, beginning in verse 7, talks about suffering and what we're to do in suffering. And so the last couple of weeks we've been talking about being patient in suffering. Patient in suffering. James 5, 7 to 11. This morning we're going to talk about prayer in suffering. So, so what God is saying to us through James is, are you suffering? Be patient. And as an example of patience in suffering, look at the prophets. Look at Job. This morning he says, are you suffering? Pray in your suffering. Pray in your suffering. And as an example of prayer, we're going to look at Elijah. We're going to look at Elijah. So let's read the text this morning. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. James 5, 12. Please open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, look on with someone who does. It's very important that we read God's Word. This is the most important time of the entire message, the entire service. So James 5, 12. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. And here's the main point of this entire paragraph, what I'm about to read. Verse 16b, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word as you would want it spoken, And I pray that you would pour out your spirit and anoint those that are listening. That the result of this message is that we would have greater faith to pray in our suffering. Even as you give us faith to be patient in our suffering. Lord, this morning, give us faith and vision. Open up our eyes to see the unseen and pray in our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard of George Mueller? He was the founder of a great Christian orphanage in England, actually an entire work in England in the 1800s before government took care of homeless children. So if the church didn't do it, they died. He had a great work, but he was a very common man who simply trusted his uncommon God to provide for the hundreds of homeless children on the streets of Bristol, England. He had only two cents in his pocket, But he decided to start an orphanage. In 60 years, beginning with two cents, George Mueller took care of 10,000 
orphans. When in the natural, he was not able to care even one. He was not able to meet the needs of even one, much less to buy them the food. But he was a man of prayer, and he believed in God, and he prayed for God's blessing, and God blessed him. There are amazing stories of answered prayers. As a matter of fact, George Mueller kept a record of his prayers. And his prayer records fill more than 3,000 pages. His notes show more than 30,000 prayers were answered. Now, one such answer to prayer took place on a morning that looked very bleak for the children of Mueller's orphanage. You see, it was time for breakfast, and there was no food. A small girl whose father was a close friend of Mueller's was visiting in the home that morning, and Mueller bent down, took her hand, and said, Come see what our Heavenly Father will do this morning. So in the dining room, long tables were set with empty plates and empty mugs. There was no food in the kitchen. There was no money in the home's account to buy the food. The children were all standing around waiting for the breakfast. And Mr. Mueller stepped in, lifted his head, and prayed, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Immediately, they heard a knock at the door. When they opened it, there stood the local baker. Mr. Mueller, I could not sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have any bread for breakfast this morning, and the Lord woke me up at 2 in the morning. I've been baking ever since. Here is bread for your breakfast this morning. Mueller thanked him and gave praise to God. Moments later, there was a second knock at the door. It was the local milkman, whose milk wagon had just broken down right in front of Mueller's orphanage. He offered all his milk to the Mueller orphans so he could have his wagon hauled to the nearest repair shop. George Mueller said the following. I say, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. And that's the message this morning, dear friends, as you will look in your notes. Pray to God in adversity and praise God in prosperity. Pray to God in adversity and praise him. In prosperity. You see, God's purpose for this message this morning in your heart, God's purpose for this message in all of our hearts is this. When we're in trouble, adversity, let us not accuse God, but let us pray to God. And when we have things going great, let us not forget God, let us praise God. Rather, in adversity or in prosperity, We are to pray. We're to pray. Now, I want you to see something. Look in your Bibles at verse 12. Because verse 12 here provides a bridge between verse 11, which is the end of that section that said, be patient in suffering, and verse 13, which begins a new section that says, pray in suffering. Verse 12 is a bridge that we're going to walk across. We're going to walk across the bridge that tells us that patience and suffering looks like prayer and suffering. So let's read it here together, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. So what is verse 12 saying? Here's what it's saying. When suffering comes, when adversity comes, don't try to manipulate your way out of it in your own efforts, but pray. 
Well, I don't see that, Al. How can that say that? It says don't take oaths. Okay, here's why I tell you this is what it's saying. An oath at that time was something that someone would give when they weren't being entirely truthful. I swear on my mother's grave, I'm going to do that. That would be an oath. I mean, it's even come to us today. Back then, it was much more serious. Jesus even talked about not doing this. Don't swear on the altar. Don't swear on the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because people that were trying to manipulate the situation would swear an oath to try to get over on someone else when they were in trouble. Modern example. Guy doesn't have enough money. Guy doesn't have enough money because about three years ago, he did what millions of Americans did, and he took out a loan for a house that he couldn't afford. Because banks did creative financing. And today, our society is almost bankrupt. And so you get in a problem, you get in a pickle, so you swear an oath, we sign a document that we have no intention on following. There's no way I can pay for that. But you know what? It'll buy me another year or two, and in that year or two, maybe I can get out of this pickle, maybe I can fix this fix, but then what happens is we don't fix this fix, and another fix is fixed to fix us. And before you know it, we find ourselves swearing oaths that we really don't mean, or just out and out lying. You know that South Florida is like the fraud capital of the world. It's certainly the Medicare fraud capital. And I think with mortgages, we're close. That's what this is talking about. See, here's the bridge. You get in trouble, you got two choices. I'm going to manipulate my way out of it. Now listen, guys, I'm preaching to myself. If there's any politicians here, this is not against you. And I pray for you. But I wanted to be a politician before I really knew the Lord. Not for the right reasons, okay? So unfortunately, what I grew up being is I was a smooth talker and I could talk my way out of anything. As a deceiver. As a manipulator. I would tell anybody anything to get voted in. That's swearing an oath. So what we do is that same mentality. I get in trouble, I can talk my way out of it. I'll tell half-truths. I'll manipulate the situation. Today, I'll spin it so I come out looking good. So we can do that when adversity hits, or we can pray. We can pray. So this is a bridge. He's saying, don't swear oaths. Don't be dishonest. But pray. Don't try to manipulate the situation to your benefit with your own strength. But pray. Pray, pray, pray. God is calling us to pray in the midst of our problems. To pray in adversity. Don't you see that? Look at verse 15. James asks his audience, Is any among you suffering? I mean, I mean, if I were to ask you this morning, Hey, is anybody here suffering? I'm pretty sure that many, if not most, would, would raise your hand. You see, the people James was talking to, they were really suffering And in some respects, like we suffer, remember this, first century church, these were mostly Jewish Christians, Jews who had been saved. Remember, this is the first letter written in the New Testament, maybe in the 40s, okay, late 40s. 
So Jesus is crucified, 33 AD. So the church is growing. So maybe 10, 12 years later. Okay, Palm Vista is 13 and a half years old. So people are suffering for being Christians. They're, they're being persecuted. Some of them have their property taken. So that's one way we suffer. Are, are you suffering financially? Have you had your property taken? Literally, there are people in this church that have. They just they had to have their homes taken. Or maybe you've lost a job. You've lost something, either for the gospel, because you're a believer. Maybe, maybe you've lost respect from people. Maybe at work you, you've, you've suffered. Okay? That's the first way. Second way people were suffering is sickness. We're going to see that in just a moment. So they're suffering because they're sick. Suffering because they're sick. Third way they're suffering, we also read in James, earlier in James 4, that there was all kinds of conflicts. They were fighting with one another. They wanted to kill each other. In fact, he uses the term, you murder one another. You judge one another. You slander. So they're suffering relational problems. And then lastly, they're suffering because of their sin. You see, many people that he was writing to are like us. We realize that we love the world. We don't want to love the world, but when no one's looking, our hearts lead us down the path of loving the world. And we want to change, and we're suffering. Oh, I'm such a hypocrite. Here I am Sunday morning, but I know what I did Saturday night. I know what I lust after when no one's looking. I know how I handle my finances. I know how I treat my children my wife. I know I'm cheating at work. I know I'm slandering. So they're, they're suffering under sin. So he's saying to them, is anyone suffering? Just like I would say to you this morning, is anyone suffering? Well, it's not self-effort that's going to get you over there. It's not swearing oaths. I swear I'm going to change. You know, it's like an eternal New Year's Eve resolution, you know. I swear this weekend's going to be different. I'm not going to stay up till three in the morning drinking with the guys. I don't do that, by the way. Just, you know, just an example. Okay. It's only till 2 in the morning. Uh, I swear I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm saying. But, but, but he says, pray. 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 So that's what point one says. Pray to God in adversity. Pray to God in adversity. And, 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 and this first area of adversity is highlighted in verse 14. Look at it. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now listen to verse 15. Verse 15 is just audacious. It's amazing. Okay? And the prayer of faith, so what is the prayer of faith? Will save the one who is sick. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to hell. I'm just sick. He's talking about save, this Greek word sozo. Okay? What does that mean? Well, save the one that's sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what's going on here? Ah, what's going on here is this. The context of their suffering, as you see in your notes, is twofold. Sickness and sin. Under point one. Pray to God in adversity. There's two major categories for adversity, sickness and sin, and they're related. And they're related, and they're related. And what we're going to see is that what God is saying here is that the salvation that he brings in Christ, 
the very prayer in adversity, just like the patience in adversity, is trusting God for his salvation in the midst of a situation created by sin. See, I I would not tell you that if you're sick, it's because you've sinned. I wouldn't say that. my, My wife suffers from discoid lupus alopecia, which is just a fancy way of saying an autoimmune deficiency, and it's, it's, it's her body attacks itself, and thankfully the organ that it's attacking is, this, is her scalp. It's not a vital organ. Sometimes if you have lupus, it attacks a vital organ, and, and you, can, you can die. I mean, although lupus isn't fatal normally, it can be. I, I can tell you, I know this woman that I'm aware of. There is no active sin in her life. She would tell you her attitudes, maybe her thoughts, but it's a godly woman. So it would be wrong to say, because she has this, oh, where have you sinned? Remember, we studied last week Job. Remember, his buddies were trying to tell him that. And and it wasn't. He was sick because God had allowed a trial on his life. God had allowed a trial on his life. Listen, it's one thing to lose your house. It's another thing to lose your health. I mean, I can, I can, I'll moan and groan and complain if you take away my possessions. But you, you take away my health? That's a serious trial. That's serious adversity. So what he's saying here is this. I'm not saying that your present sickness is necessarily due to sin that you just committed. But I'm saying this. Sickness in general, you can mark this down, is due to sin. Sickness in general entered this world because of sin. Why do I say that? Because the Bible informs me. I want you to lift your, I want you to lift your eyes on this text up beyond yourself. And look at God's purposes. At the beginning of time, with the first two people who were ever born, Adam and Eve, God said, obey me and rule this earth under my authority. It was called the Garden of Eden. It was paradise. Folks, there was no sin. There was no sickness. Adam and Eve would have lived forever. But what happened? Sin was introduced. They chose to rebel against God. And the moment they did, God's judgment on them came true. The moment you eat of this fruit, the moment you rebel against me, you will die. Hence, sickness entered. Sickness entered. And so what this passage is dealing with is, yes, it is dealing with, it is dealing with your sickness. No doubt about it. But it is dealing with something beyond that. Otherwise, why in the world in verse 15 would he say, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Would he say the prayer of faith will save you, so-so? Would he say the Lord will raise him up? See, those are terms that all speak of a bigger picture than just you're sick. Your sickness is a stage upon which God's redemption story will be played. Because even if you call for the elders and they come and pray for you, and even if they heal you, How many of you know eventually you're going to die? Because the greatest sickness that you have isn't of your body. It's of your soul. You're sick in your body because of original sin. And your greatest need is forgiveness. Your body, yes, needs to be healed. But the wound on your soul of sin needs to be healed. Now mark this down under sickness. Mark 2. Mark 2. You don't need to turn there, but this is for you to study later to validate 
this interpretation of this passage. Mark 2. What happened in Mark 2? Jesus is preaching. He's in a house. There's a guy that is a paraplegic, so he can't walk. He's laying down. Four of his buddies, back then the houses had sawed roofs. Super bummer for the owner of the house. They dig a hole in the guy's sawed roof, and they lower his, their buddy right down in front of Jesus. Scene stops. Jesus looks at the guy. Everybody's ready for Jesus to heal him. What does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Everybody's like, what? His buddies are going, dude, dude, heal him. (laughs) I don't know about his sins. I mean, he's not the greatest of guys, but just heal him. What are you talking about sins? The Pharisees, they are freaking out. They're thinking only God can heal someone's, uh, can forgive someone's sin. How dare you? Jesus knows what everybody's thinking. And he turns over and he goes, oh, we got a little problem here, do we? <laughs> so he asks him this question. He says, hey, I'll tell you what. Which one's easier for me to do right now? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier for me to say, hey, buddy, stand up and walk. You've never walked paraplegic, never been done before. Stand up and walk. Of course, no one's answering him because they're deathly afraid of him. They're all thinking, well, duh. It's much easier to say your sins are forgiven. We don't know if his sins are forgiven. Maybe they are. God only knows. But I'll tell you what, you get this guy to stand up and walk, and I will, I will be impressed. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Jesus, before they answer, Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you what. So that you know that I have the authority to forgive sin. He goes, get up. Okay, what was Jesus saying? Look, I know you came here thinking that your greatest need was the sickness of your body. But I'm here to tell you that your greatest need is the sickness of your soul. Can I ask you a question? Where is that guy right now? He's in heaven. So his body got saved, but eventually he died. So the greatest need we have, the greatest need addressed here in James 5, 14 to 15, has to be the wound of sin on my soul, not the sickness of my body. But because sickness came because of sin, often Jesus will give us little snapshots of heaven and the final glory day in paradise when he comes back, when there'll be no more sin, no more sickness, no more tears. This body right now that's giving me all kinds of problems will no longer give me problems. It will be an eternal body. It will be eternal forever and ever and ever, a glorified body. To give me a foretaste of that, he'll heal me today. Knowing that eventually I'm going to die. But he'll heal me and say, here's the kingdom of God. Here's what you need. That's what's going on in James 5, 14 and 15. Do you see that? Now, does that mean, Al, I can't pray to be physically healed? Of course not. I pray often for my wife to be healed. And, and, and I want you to pray to be healed. And, and look carefully what it says here. It, it doesn't say if you're sick. You pray. I don't think it forbids that, but what does it say in verse 14? Is anyone among you sick? What are we supposed to do? Call for the elders of the church. Why call for the elders of the church? Do the elders have some supernatural special powers? No. Being an elder, I can tell you this. No. Absolutely not. Oh, friends, see the redemptive, historical, fancy word, eschatological. That's just a view for the end times. See God's big picture. Get your head up from your own life and look at God. Let him fill your gaze. Man, the elders represent what? 
the church. The church is what? The body of Christ. What we have here is God healing His people of the wound of sin, raising them up, causing them to come into all that He has for them, which will be fulfilled not on this earth, but in eternity when He returns. But it's a snapshot of that now. So are you sick? Call for the elders. And this is, this is a point of application right now. We're not going to pray for the sick at the end of this service. Because I don't, I don't believe that's what is being spoken of here. I believe this is what it's being spoken of. Are you sick? Go home and pray about it. Confess your sins to one another. And call me. And Corey, when he gets back. And we'll be happy to come pray for you and anoint you with oil. I don't think this is some big mass thing with people I don't even know because I'm a faith healer and I've got the gift of healing. No, no, no. This is a church thing where God is building his church and he's demonstrating his love for us and yes, he will heal us and I have faith that God will heal you. I have that faith. But as a sign of the ultimate healing of your soul. So that's the application. Now, look at verse 16. You have to ask yourself a question when you see this word, therefore. What's the question you have to ask? You guys are amazing. What is that therefore, therefore? It is there because of what we just spoke. See, this verse makes no sense when compared with the verses that precede it, unless there's a larger redemptive view, looking to the end and God raising his people up, beyond simply healing my body. It's both and, it's not either or. But look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. Well, wait, wait a second. James, I thought you said that if I'm sick, I call for the elders. Now in 16, you're telling me if I'm sick, I should confess my sin and I should um, pray for one another. I thought it was the elders that were supposed to pray for me. Which one is it, James? It's both. Because the healing here, while encompassing physical healing, friends, it's healing of the wound of sin in your life. And you know why you need the wound of sin to be healed in your life? Because of what it says in verse 16b. Remember, I told you this was the key verse. Here it is, verse 16b. I'll start with the beginning of 16 to get the flavor here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed, period. Now, here's why. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer has great power. Prayer has great power because of Jesus. It doesn't say that there. It says because of the righteous man. Oh, no, it says because of Jesus. Because understood to James and hopefully understood to every person in this church that's a member, you've been well taught, there's wonderful teachers here, that there is no one righteous. So if the righteous man is the only one that has prayer that's powerful, ain't nobody have powerful prayer. Hallelujah. (laughs) But what's our hope? Where's our righteousness? Christ, I think Jose Prado or Zeke, one of the two spoke of this. Might have been Zeke. 
lived the perfect life that we could never live, died a sacrificial death on the cross, took my penalty, rose from the dead, and if you, if you repent of your sins and believe in him, the Bible says you will become the righteousness of God in Christ. You, God's righteousness, your right standing, will, will then be credited to you. So when it says here, when it says here in verse 16b, the prayer of a righteous person, that is us. That is us. And it's not us. <laughs> it's not us. Why? Because at the same time that I positionally, that I legally am righteous, there's a fancy term for that in theology, it's called justification. I'm also trying to live out my righteousness experientially. I'm the righteousness of God who gets angry when someone cuts me off in traffic. I'm the righteousness of God who gets angry when he finds out this morning that the AC still doesn't work in the children's ministry after he called the administration. (laughs) Didn't look like Jesus on that one. So which am I? I'm both. But ultimately, I will be like Jesus. That's my eschatological hope at the very end of time when he comes back. And today I'm becoming like Jesus. So so to become like Jesus, now we're back to the text. Guess what I need to do? I need to remember the gospel, but he gives me practical instructions. Read it again, verse 16, first part. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, I believe that the second point of adversity here is sin. He's saying prayer is effective to bring healing to your body. It's effective to bring healing to your soul. Prayer is powerful, guys, to help us walk out the Christianity that God's called us to walk out. Prayer is powerful when accompanied by confession of sin. Now, that confession of sin is always voluntary. And you need to confess your sin to people that are mature. By the way, this is not endorsing the practice that I have to confess my sin to a priest in order to be forgiven. That's not what this is saying at all. What's at, what's at play here is, is sanctification. Growing to be like Jesus. But it is saying, and we would use, this would be one of the scriptures we would use uh, if you've been with us for a while and wondering about the practice of home groups and the practice of accountability, and the practice of just sharing our lives, biblical fellowship with one another. This scripture is one of the scriptures we would use to say, you know what, apart from this, we can't really grow to be like Christ. And not only that, he's commanded us to do this. Again, to do it carefully, but to do it. Why? Because if we do it, and it's accompanied by prayer, God will bless That's what it says there. God will bless. These prayers are powerful. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. By the way, you can jot this down in that section there under point one, uh, the second little bullet 
sin? Just jot this down. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. It's another passage that talks about confessing to one another, speaking the truth to one another. Why? So that we can become like Jesus. Now, you should be asking me, okay, Al, how does this all, how do you, how do you know that that's what he's talking about here? Well, here's how I know. Because the example of prayer that he leaves us with in verses 17 and 18, Elijah, and the instance in Elijah's life that he mentions talks about people who have been idolaters, God's people, who have been serving false idols, being called to repentance. So you see, when God has James give us an example of prayer that's intense, which is your second point there, Pray intensely. And that example is of a prophet who is calling God's people to stop serving idols, to stop loving the world, to stop loving themselves. Then you've got to say to yourself, well, of course, this is the purpose of this paragraph. Yes, it talks about physical healing, but it's talking about healing of my soul. It's talking about God constituting, raising up his people, a people that are for him. Well, let's look at it. If you look at verses uh, 17 and 18, you'll see again in James 5, it says the following. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, first of all, you you must understand something. For a good Jew in the first century, Elijah was the Jack Bauer of prophets. (laughs) Not joking, man. Not joking. He was. He was second only to Moses. I mean, Elijah survived in the wilderness being fed by ravens. Elijah killed 450 prophets of Baal. That sounds a lot like Jack Bauer. Elijah, at one point, outran Ahab's chariot, who was a wicked king of Israel. And here's the clincher. There's no record of Elijah's death. He was simply whisked up by a chariot of fire. Gone. Gone. So you can understand... People are thinking Elijah is something special. But you know what James is saying to us here? What is he saying in verse 17? What do you read there? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James is saying, stop thinking of Elijah as Jack Bauer. Stop thinking of Elijah that way. Think of him as regular old guy, just like you and me. Now, What's the instance in Elijah's life? Because remember, what he's trying to say is he's going to back up this, this, this phrase he made in 16b, the phrase that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He's saying, listen, are you suffering? Pray. Prayer in adversity. Prayer in suffering. Prayer so that the church would be all that she can be. Prayer if you're sick so that God would heal you physically. But much, much more importantly, prayer so that your soul, which is sick with sin, can be healed. You can be more like Jesus. Pray, 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 pray. That's his point. And here's his example, Elijah. Now note the example. It talks about rain coming and not coming. I want you to just jot this down for further study. Under that second point, pray to God intensely. Jot down 1 Kings 17 and 18. 1 Kings 17 and 18. You can read it later. What you're going to find in 1 Kings 17 and 18 is the following account. Somewhere around 870 B.C., there was a wicked king of Israel named Ahab. He had a wife named Jezebel. 
Ahab should have been leading God's people to righteousness to worship God, but he was allowing 450 prophets of Baal, a false god, to rule his little kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel that were in the north in Samaria. And Jezebel, his wife, had 400 prophetesses of Asherah. Asherah was the female goddess of fertility. So every day, the 400 prophetesses of Asherah would come and eat at Jezebel's table. And the 450 false prophets of Baal had their way with God's people. And it was bad news. Much like today, our hearts are captured by false gods of our time. Now, it's interesting with Baal, among the many things that he was in charge of, supposedly, was water. So what you're going to find when you go back and read this this afternoon is that in 1 Kings 17, God says to Elijah... Go tell Ahab it's not going to rain in Israel for three and a half years because of their idolatry. This is where now in James 5.17, where it says, Elijah prayed fervently that it might not rain for three and a half years, three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. The reference there is to 1 Kings 17. And what's the context, friends? Idolatry. Not following God. God's people following idols rather than God. Do you see now where the interpretation of this talking about our sin and confessing to one another and being healed of the wound of sin so that we can have prayer that's powerful? That's the interpretation here. It includes physical healing, but with a picture to something far greater. Now, you go to verse 18, chapter 18 of 1 Kings and you find Elijah praying three and a half years later. The nation is devastated. Can you imagine no rain for three and a half years? Their crops were gone. People were dying of hunger. And God says, okay, Elijah, time to go talk to Ahab again. Now, mind you, there was a bounty on Elijah's head. Shoot on sight. Kind of like Jack Bauer. If you see him, kill him. Preferably slowly and painfully. Because this guy is a troubler of Israel. He's a bad dude. Now, he was a good dude, but when the bad dudes are ruling, good dudes are bad dudes. Got that? So... Elijah just shows up. Boop. There he is. He says, I'll tell you what, Ahab. Um, Get ready. Because rain is coming. Mind you, no rain for three and a half years. And then this is what he does. He challenges God's people. He says to Ahab, he says, Ahab, you get the people of God and assemble them around Mount Carmel. Open air theater. Let's go down to the stadium. And I want you to bring down to that stadium with 150,000, 200,000, whatever number of people. I want you to bring down to the stadium all your boys, the 450 prophets of Baal. And I'm going to come alone. And we're going to set up two altars with wood. And on those altars of wood, we're going to cut up uh, an ox, two oxen. And we're going to put those on the altars of wood. And then they're going to start, and they're going to ask Baal to consume that offering with fire. Now, you can't provide your own fire, okay? No own fire. It's got to come from heaven. And then I'm going to ask my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by the way, Israel, your God that you have abandoned, to consume with fire. And whoever's God answers, that's who is the true God. So the two bulls were brought down, and Baal's boys went first. And from the morning, it says, until noon, they cried out to Baal. Go back and read it later, and there was silence. 
just like their silence to our idols when we cry to them in our moment of need. They use us and abuse us, but they never serve us. And so at noon, guys, you've got to listen to this. Don't turn it, but just listen. Elijah, he, well, he had some Jack Bauer in him, okay? I mean, I think there's a spirit of the Lord on him. But this is scripture, okay? So I'm not, don't get mad at me. This is what scripture says. So at noon, Elijah walks out and he says, Hey guys, it's been about six hours here. Cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps Baal is asleep and must be awakened. Now that's courage, man. You got 450 really mad prophets who've been screaming and yelling for about six hours in the Florida sun. And you come out and mock them. But it was God. All right? So young, young men, you can't do that on the football field, all right? Then Elijah says, prepare my offering. And he tells them three times, soak my offering with water. Soak it. Pour water. So much water that there were troughs of water around his offering. And put up 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. This is God's people who have sold their soul to idols. They're not praying effectively because they've been harmed by the wound of sin. And then listen to Elijah's prayer. Elijah stands, much like George Mueller, hopefully like you and me, a man just like us. Nothing special about Elijah. So I'm kind of sorry I used the Jack Bauer thing, but it's kind of fun to do. But he's really just an average guy, according to Scripture. And listen to what he says. Oh, Lord God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That you have turned their hearts back. Remember when this whole thing began, and I failed to read this to you and I'm so sorry, when this whole thing began, when the stadium was full of people, before this happened, Elijah stood up in front of 100,000 people, God's, supposedly God's people, and he said, he got the microphone and he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Thank you. Handed the microphone over. So he was on the line. Okay, now back to the prayer. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Now look at verse 38, man. Then fire, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood. It consumed the stones, man. It consumed the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the peoples, the stadium went nuts, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, which is that word Yahweh, the Lord, the God's covenant name that he revealed to Moses, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. See, there's that Jack Bauer thing again. (sighs) Friend, how long will you limp between two opinions? If he's God, serve him. If whatever little God you've constructed in your life is God, well, go serve them. Your money, your pleasure, your friends, the things you live for, respect from others. But decide, will you? Because fire came down and consumed somebody. 
And that somebody was Jesus Christ. The ultimate offering. God's wrath was poured out on him. He rose from the dead to give you hope, man. So you could be done with your idols. So you could serve the one who's truly God and stop serving those that are not God. I think that's what God is saying this morning. And what helps us do that is prayer. That's the point. Back to verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man or woman, the prayer of a righteous person who understands this. It's effectual. Guys, we need to pray for each other. I need your prayers. Last night, my son and I were driving home. I picked him up from work, and we were just, we were just sharing together. Uh, I'll tell you what I shared with him. I won't tell you what he shared with me. We, we were confessing sin. I have a, a 16-year-old son. I said, son, I, I, he goes, dad, he goes, oh, you're working on your sermon? Because I had brought my sermon there because I was waiting for him to pick him up. I, it was written out, manuscript, and I was just reading it through, you know, just trying to, all right, Lord, how do you want this? I was, I was looking at your faces in my mind's eye and praying for you and saying, Lord, I don't want to be harsh. I want to be, be kind, but I want your word to speak. So I was just doing that, okay? And so my son goes, so how's it going, dad? I said, honestly, Joe, I, I feel a little convicted right now that I've been lazy with this sermon. There was a couple of little phrases in the Greek that I hadn't been quite as exact as I wanted to be. And, you know, there was just a couple of times when I, when I prepare. It's just, for me, it's hard work. As you can tell, I'm a person that likes to yell and scream and jump around and everything. And sitting still and studying for eight hours straight. Yeah, that's like, ah! So I, I felt, son, I didn't quite do it like I wanted to. I mean, I think I was faithful, but I'm, I feel convicted. He shared with me some things that he was going through. And then I said, you know, son, you know what's cool? Is that what the, this is what this passage is talking about. Because now we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that this prayer is effective. The prayer of a righteous man. Because you and I are righteous, though we've sinned. Jesus has made me righteous. And we're going to pray that God deliver us so that we'd follow the one true God. Because all of us stumble over these other gods, don't we? So that we could be raised up and healed of our wound of sin. And yes, healed physically. So that God would be glorified. And that's the main point. Zeke said it well. It's all about God. It's all about God. So friend, as it says in your notes there at the end of point two, the Holy Spirit who teaches us how to pray and makes our prayers effective also energizes our prayers so that they might be fervent. Oh, friends, God is speaking to us here. God is energizing our prayers. God is giving us hope against hope that we might serve him. The last point, I'm not going to spend much time at all on that, is praise God in prosperity. I believe the, the main pulse of this message is pray to God in, in, in adversity, but praise God in prosperity. Hey, Joe, uh, James does say in, in 513b, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Hey, you, things going well for you? Wonderful. Are you praising the Lord? Don't forget him. Are you going through difficulties because of this culture, because of sickness, because of relational conflict, because of your sin? Pray, pray, pray. In a moment, we're going to go so just a time of singing to the Lord as we conclude. But I want to leave you with, with some application. And if you have the notes, you'll see there. Application. Live your life in intense prayer and praise. That word fervent that you see in Scripture, that Greek word there, can be translated either passionate or intense. And what you have there is you have a list of prayers that the Apostle Paul penned at the end of his letters to believers. Okay? And they're fascinating. I would encourage you to study the prayers of Scripture so that you might pray. 
But you can read those prayers through for yourself. But Paul often would end his letters with an encouragement to pray. So, Elijah is our example of intense prayer. The prayer of a righteous man. Because when Elijah was done praying, it rained. Glorious rain. The rain of God's blessing. And Paul says to pray. And this passage says to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that we might receive the blessing of God. I want to tell you one more thing about George Mueller. George Mueller, this founder of all these Christian orphanages, and this was just on my heart as we came in this morning, because I know some of you have been praying in this way for a long time. Mueller also knew the importance of keeping at prayer and persevering in prayer, even when the answer seems delayed. When he was young, he began praying that two of his friends might be saved. He prayed for them for more than 60 years. One of the men was converted shortly before his death at at what was possibly the last service Mueller held. The other was saved within a year of Mueller's death. So Mueller never got to see the second one get saved. So what does that teach us? Here, it brings together James 5, 7 through 18. Be patient in suffering. Pray in suffering. Be patient in prayer. Let's pray. Worship team, if you'll come up at this point, please. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that your word is clear, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, that though we often experientially don't look like righteous people, we are legally and our identity has been changed from the old man to the new, we are righteous men and women because of Christ's righteousness. Our faith is in Christ alone. And so, our prayers, oh God, they're powerful. They're powerful. So Lord, I pray right now for my friends, those who are wrestling with sickness, I do pray in the coming days that they would pick up the phone and call, and they would say, Al, could you or Corey come and anoint us with oil? And we want to pray for healing. And there's several that aren't here this morning, providentially, they they couldn't be here, but I, I pray for them, Lord. Lord, I pray that this would be a picture of the eschatological, the end time truth, that one day when you split the sky open with your presence and that trumpet sounds, that all sin and all sickness will be vanquished and death, the final enemy, is vanquished. Oh, Jesus, you who rose from the dead. And Lord, I pray we would pray with one another in this church to be healed of the wound of sin, that we would confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, that our church would be healed. Lord, not only that we would be healthy physically, individually, but oh God, we'd be healthy corporately as your people, your body. Your body is sick at times. Oh Lord Jesus, heal us as we pray the prayer of faith in you, in you. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, this is pretty foreign to you. I just want to appeal to you. You can look this way. as God's speaking to you right now, hopefully through me. If that's you, God is real. And Jesus Christ, he is the only righteous one. And he died for your sins. And he will give you life. If you've been resisting, if you've been holding out, I beg you, I beg you, run to the only God who can send real fire down from heaven 
and consume the offering. That was Christ, that you might be saved. And in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if God's spoken to your heart, I just, I just ask you to maybe speak to someone you're standing next to, or if you want to come for prayer, I'll be down here. Jose will be down here. Uh, but let's just cry out to God in prayer. So please stand.